0: listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So another long gospel reading from John. In this year of the, the lectionary cycle, Three times in Lent we get these very long episodes from John. They can't be cut into pieces because they are whole stories. And I'm grateful that the lectionary does take us deep into these narratives at this time. Now this particular story runs the full length of the ninth chapter of John and has a rather remarkable structure that keeps inviting the reader forward. It's told in a series of four episodes. First, Jesus meets a man who was born blind, anoints his eyes with mud and spit. Now, just pause there for a second. If you ever are tempted to think that in John's Gospel, Jesus is, just walks a little bit above the ground, which he sometimes seems to, like he, he's never in error or anything, but he's ever so human here. What do you know? After the man washes in the pool of Siloam, he can see, which is a source of amazement to those who know him. Second episode, the man is taken to the Pharisees who go into skeptical mode, and then they get very critical because this has all happened on the Sabbath. In turn, the man's parents are questioned, but they keep their heads low for fear of being condemned, ultimately saying, he's of age, ask him. Chapter 3, episode 3. The Pharisees again summon the man, intent on getting to the bottom of it all, or at least to make sure Jesus gets no credit for any of it. In the end, the man says to them, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To which the Pharisees answered, You were born entirely in sin, and you're trying to teach us? At which point they drive him away, and they kind of disappear from sight in the story. Episode 4, the final one. The man is then sought out by Jesus, who's been absent for the long middle sections of the story who ultimately says to the man, You have seen the Son of Man. The one speaking with you is he. To which the newly sighted man replies, Lord, I believe. This then leads to the final confrontation with the Pharisees who say to Jesus, Surely we aren't blind, are we? To which he answers, If you were blind, you would have not, no sin but now that you say we see your sin remains now that's a little bit of upside down logic that's what drives the story and in fact is the engine for the whole of the gospels the great irony of the healing of blindness in these stories is that the physically blind characters are the ones who are most honest and upfront about their deeper need, physical and spiritual. They want to see. While the sighted characters in all of these stories walk with a kind of profound blindness as to what's actually going on right in front of their eyes. That's certainly true of the Pharisees in this story, but it's actually also true of the disciples. John says, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned, this man, this blind man, or his parents, that he was born this way? You see that? The disciples are working with an assumption that would have been very much in the air of their world, that if you were blind or in any way disabled... It was either on account of something you've done wrong or some sin committed by your parents or your forebears. Now, in her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, a book that a group of us from this community are actually studying right now, Amy Kenney issues a quick and important caution saying, before you judge the disciples, you should know that a 2018 poll found that 67% of people feel uncomfortable talking to a disabled person. She herself lives largely in a wheelchair. Assumptions around something like blindness are not, in other words, restricted to the ancient world, but are very much present in our own. Kenny also makes the point that her wheelchair-bound body is somehow deemed ripe for public comment. And time and time and time again, complete strangers will come up to her and commend to her every cure you can imagine, from healing prayer to putting garlic in her socks. So no, don't judge the disciples But instead, see if you can't grow in understanding, just as they will grow as they watch what happens. Jesus does his work. And here, growing in understanding is a fascinating prospect, because this parable doesn't invite us into a happily ever after sort of resolution, but rather asks that we witness what this man born blind ultimately has to walk through. Here I turn our attention to Amy Kenny's unique engagement with the story. She's decided that the man born blind needs a name, so she names him Zechariah or Zach for short. And she writes, "Perhaps the biggest surprise in this passage is that receiving sight doesn't magically improve everything or anything for Zach." Quite the opposite, in fact. It amplifies the way he's ostracized by people who think they understand Scripture better than him. Right? One would think that those who had seen him out near the pool of Siloam day after day, week after week, month after month, would have been thrilled to see his sight restored. But no. John says that the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some say, yes, it's him. Others say, nah, it just looks like him. They don't quite know what to do with the restoration of his sight. And they're certainly not in a position where they're going to start celebrating it. And then it's off to the Pharisees, who get all tangled up, in both the problem of performing a healing on the Sabbath and in what to do about a healing if they've already decided that Jesus is a problem. And then it's off to the man's parents who don't want to risk getting involved. And so then it's back to the second standoff between the Pharisees and the newly sighted man, which leads to his being pushed out of their circle. And no one aside from the man himself seems at all happy that he can now finally see. This moment, after he's been pushed out, after his parents have said, ask him, he's of age, after he's felt just pure rejection, in spite of the fact he can now see, this is when the deeper healing will take place. Again, from Amy Kenney. Zach received a physical cure in the beginning of John 9 when he emerged from the pool able to see, but his true healing does not occur until much later in the chapter when he declares, Lord, I believe, and worships Jesus. That's the moment he's restored through a conversation with the living God and is finally able to reach the place of worship he's been excluded from. Because, of course, As a man hampered in that way by his sight, he's limited as to where he can go in the temple. Now, it doesn't matter that those Pharisees won't give him the time of day. It doesn't even matter if he's going to find himself shunned from the temple still, because he is connected to Jesus. He's now in a place of deeper worship, namely in the presence of the living God, and no one is about to take that away from him. He, the man born blind, is the one who now sees with the greatest clarity. As for who is metaphorically blind in the story, Jesus hardly mints his words. I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Not that he is blinding them, nor particularly wants them To be blind to what's going on but rather the clarity of his action and his very self his very being in their midst demands decision those who know their need turn to him those who think they've been doing well spiritually ritually socially religiously all along thank you very much Effectively slam the door on their own sightedness. Now, the brilliant thing is that the slammed door is not eternally shut. Any one of them could open it back up, walk through to Jesus, and start the conversation with him all over again. That's precisely what Nicodemus the Pharisee did in chapter three of this gospel, when he came to see Jesus by night and was in the end ultimately transformed by it. That's what the good Lord most deeply desires, that all will be sighted, all will be transformed, all will find their way home to Him, even if only in the fullness of time. But He's not going to force it. Oh, and of course alongside of the man who'd been blind, we, the reader, or the hearer of this gospel story, are meant to stand right there with him. For as N.T. Wright says, John wants us to see, wants us to see. And that is, of course, what the passage is all about. It isn't just the man born blind who can now see. It is John's readers, hearers, who are being led toward the light, which is Jesus himself. Which is why, on this fourth Sunday in Lent, we tell so long a story, it needs to be broken up for two voices— And in the middle of it, you might have had your imagination stray a little bit off to the side and then come back again. But it's important to hear it again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.